really not clear when we look back on Merkel in 20 years' time whether she's going to go down as the woman who saved Europe or the woman who destroyed Europe. It seems to me that both of those things are, are possible. Welcome to Foreign Policy. I'm Cameron Abadi, FB's deputy editor for foreignpolicy.com. You're listening to the ER. I'm in Washington today, and I'm joined in studio by Constance Stelzenmüller and Hans Kunnani. Constance is the inaugural Robert Bosch Senior Fellow in the Center on the United States and Europe at Brookings. She's an expert on German, European, and transatlantic foreign and security policy and strategy. Prior to working at Brookings, she was a senior transatlantic fellow with the German Marshall Fund of the United States. Hans Kunnani is a senior transatlantic fellow in the Europe program at the German Marshall Fund. He works on internal European economic and institutional issues and Europe's role in the world. Hans previously served as research director at the European Council on Foreign Relations. ER nerds, we love hearing from you. Have episode ideas or comments? You can email us at any time at erpodcast at foreignpolicy.com. So we're here today to talk about the German election, uh, which just happened yesterday. The campaign, which went on through the summer, was described as the most boring in the world in recent memory, which was a relief in some ways, about a year after Brexit and Donald Trump's election. You know, we even had a piece on our website discussing how boring it was and how Germans were talking more about Boris Becker midsummer than they were about Angela Merkel. And now the boring election happened, and now everyone's talking about so many exciting things. We're talking about uh, neo-Nazis and the Bundestag. We're talking about coalition by the name of Jamaica out of some, for some reason. We're talking about France's president cursing his fate. And so all sorts of exciting things happened at an election that everyone's describing as so boring. The ultimate result is that Angela Merkel is going to stay chancellor. That much is clear. But a lot of other things have happened, uh, so let's, let's talk about it. I guess let's start with Merkel herself. Um, Hans, uh, would you say that Merkel won this election? Did she lose this election? I feel like there's been a lot of commentary uh, both ways. It's sort of been a little ambiguous. So, so what do we say? Did she win or not? Well, she clearly lost the election um, in the sense of, uh, in the sense that you know this was the worst result for the Christian Democrats since the creation of the Federal Republic in 1949. I think Constance is about second, second, worst. second worst. Which was the worst? 31% in 1941. Okay. okay, there you go. You hear that? Nerds, you write that down. Okay. Uh, uh, it's important. There'll be a quiz so, afterwards. Not a great start. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, the, the Christian Democrats are still the biggest party and, as you said, will we'll form a government. So in that sense, you could say that, that she won. But, I, I mean, I think, the, the, you know, in a sense, the, the, the thing that was most surprising about the election yesterday was how badly the CDU did. Everything else was pretty much as expected. Um, the um, AFD did a little bit better than, um, than they were expected to. Um, I think the projections were somewhere between 8 and 12% and they got 13%. Um, the SPD did basically as badly um, as, as people were expecting. Expecting was at the lower end of the projection, but it wasn't again a surprise. So the only thing that was really a surprise was was that the, the, the CDU did did worse than than we were expecting. Well, so so let's let's slow down here and actually uh, uh, break down some of those acronyms. Uh, when you said the AFD did about as well as expected, uh, what, what is the AFD, uh, and, and and what should we think about that? Uh, Constance, do you want to tell us what the right. AFD is? Let me, if if I may, um, just re- retread some some of, some of that ground and do the acronyms. Um, so the CDU got its second worst showing historically since the creation of the Federal Republic. That's bad enough. Its Bavarian sister party, CSU, did get its worst showing ever, which is really bad for its leader, Horst Seehofer, who I think uh, would have loved to have been part of an intra-party challenge against Merkel now. Um, people who want to introduce a much more hard-edged conservative course against her modernizing moderateness. 
Um, the Social Democrats also got their worst results since 1949. Um, this is the SPD acronym, Social Democratic Party. Um, so really, somewhat like in France, a dramatic result for the mainstream parties. And I don't really like using the term mainstream because that's already sort of adopting the language of the extreme factions. But let's just say the, the parties that were that have been occupying the political center of Germany ever since the uh, recreation of Germany after World War II. So that's already pretty dramatic. Merkel's personal bad showing really means that she um, has, un unlike during the summer when we thought she would only where she would have four coalition options, she now has only one. Because the Social Democrats, her current coalition partners in a grand coalition, have already said, we're not doing this again. We want to go in opposition. And actually, they're doing the country a favor because otherwise the alternative for Germany, the AFD, hmm. would be the largest opposition party giving it special rights, such as the right to chair the budget committee, which I think nobody in their right minds can yeah. want. And why is that? What, 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 is, what is the problem with AFD exactly? Well, the alternative for Germany is, um, I wouldn't call them neo-Nazis. It does contain neo-Nazis. And because it's now got 12.6% of the vote, um, it gets a party faction, as it's called, a fraktion of, I think at this point, 94 members, um, most of whom don't even have experience in local government are very right-wing, and some of them are extremely right-wing. One of the things, one of the reasons why um, the alternative for Germany should concern us so much is that they did, indeed, for most of the summer, um, have sort of sh make a very poor showing publicly. I mean, they had had a party conference in, in the spring where, where it was vicious leadership infighting all the way, and people essentially thought they were spent political force. And throughout the summer, they were stuck at 7 to 8%. And then in the last two, three weeks before this Sunday election, they suddenly, they sudden, were suddenly on a roll. They captured social media. They have a huge Facebook presence. Hmm. I think it's at about half a, more, more than half a million, more than the, the Christian Democrats and the Social Democrats together. They have a commanding presence on Twitter. And they also suddenly mounted a really ferocious street campaign. They sent howling and jeering protesters to every single appearance of the chancellor. And the chancellor, I think, made the mistake of not speaking to them. She just ignored them. She had to be protected. So all the images that you got from these street campaigns was of Merkel being heavily protected by bodyguards, going into these, mm. going into these speeches, giving her speech, being jeered and whistled at, and being led out again by bodyguards. So, so let's rewind this even a little bit more, because, you know, we all follow German politics here in the studio, and I'm sure everyone listening. Uh, but uh, just to just to review, if 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 someone <laughs> fell asleep uh, five years ago, I remember the IFD party, how it started. It was a sort of mild mannered economist by the name of Beyond Luca. He and and, and he, he basically started this party with very sort of dry academic arguments about the European Union. And now, all of a sudden, if someone just woke up after uh, after a five year coma, uh, and and all of a sudden, you have the people running the party are are talking about are praising the soldiers in the Second World War. They're talking about disposing of immigrants who are currently in the country, who are born there in Germany. The, the one they wanted to dispose of is a German cabinet minister mm. who has a German passport, yeah. but who has Turkish roots, and they wanted to deport her to Anatolia. And so again, this 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 I think needs some explanation. How did a dry party that was arguing about the euro 
end up in such an extremist category. What what happened uh, to the IFD? Hans, do you have uh, some thoughts on that? Well, yes, it's a sort of long story. I mean, it's not it's not completely surprising in the sense that lots of the um, Eurosceptic parties um, in across Europe um, are also. Um, anti-immigrant. So that combination, I think, is not is not completely unusual um, or surprising. And I suppose the, the, the thing that links those two sets of issues is the principle of freedom of movement. But, you know, I, I suppose the short version of what happened to the AFD is that, as you say, they were created as this um, professor's party, um, basically an economic liberal party. Um, that overlaps, I think, in many ways with the FDP's views on on economic issues and um, on the Eurozone in particular. But there were these various different factions within the party. They seemed to um, be imploding. Um, and then the um, refugee crisis came along and gave them a sort of second life, as it were, which they've exploited very successfully. I have to say, I think, though, that the, the, the mainstream parties, to use that term again, uh, do bear a lot of responsibility for the rise of the AFD. Um, and in particular, this grand coalition that we've had um, for the last four years has, I think, structurally enabled the rise of, of the AFD. But also, I think the AFD is actually a really interesting party in, in many ways. Um, and in particular, I think one of the things that's very striking to me about it is the way that um, we've heard a lot in the last 24 hours about the um, the way that this is a sort of male-dominated party in terms of the voters. Um, I mean, I think that's been a little bit exaggerated because it's not as if women didn't vote for it. But apart from the question of gender, I think what's very, very striking about the AFD is that um, is that it actually integrates people from um, different classes, in other words, income groups in Germany, different ages. So I think it's a very strong argument um, to call the AFD what the Germans call a Volkspartei, which is a sort of integrative party, um, at a time when some of the other mainstream parties, like the SPD, are sort of moving away from that and becoming less of a Volkspartei. The AFD, I think, this is part of the reason why I think it's there to stay, is because it does actually cut across different strata in German society in a way that very few of the other parties do. I want to bur- burrow down a little bit more in terms of what you said, in terms of holding the main stream parties accountable. Yesterday after the election, one of the, my favorite things about the German elections is that after the election, they have something on national television, I guess it's called the Elefantenrunde, um, which uh, is in contrast to the US elections where you have to stay up and wait for a concession speech and acceptance speech, et cetera, et cetera. In Germany, after the election, they get all the party leaders uh, together on one set right after the election, and they all have to confront each other uh, together with a couple of journalists. You say that like it's a bad thing. No, I love it. I think it's, a, it's a much more, much preferable. Yeah. Rather than having to listen to boring speeches, you have to see the sort of looks on their faces just like right after the, the tallies come in, and they all have to kind of uh, defend themselves. Um, so in yesterday's uh, Elefantenrunde, I guess the translation of that is Round of elephants, so the elephants being the party leaders. Um, so in that, uh, I remarked upon how the SPD candidate Martin Schulz immediately turned on Merkel and held her responsible. She said, "The fact that the AfD is on this stage, the fact that the AfD has risen to fourteen percent, thirteen point something percent, is Mrs. Merkel's fault." Um, how, uh, Constance, what do you what do you think about that uh, diagnosis? Did Merkel allow the AfD to rise by not pushing traditional CDU policies in the migration crisis? Was that something that she ought? ought to have had more in mind the the role that the CDU traditionally plays. So a couple things here. Um, first, uh, um, the election outcome itself. I mean, it's, it's notable that we use only paper ballots, yet you get um, fairly accurate polls at 6 p.m. on election day. 
And by midnight on election day, which was 6 p.m. here in the East Coast, you had nearly finished official results. Um, the second thing is the Elefantenrunde, the elephant's round of the party leaders, was for most of my childhood and student years um, a fairly sedate affair because you only had three people in it, right? You had the Christian Democrats, the Social Democrats, and the Liberals. It was only uh, in the late 80s that this changed, and we now have seven parties, um, seven party leaders in it, and that makes for a slightly more raucous atmosphere in general. And, and yes, they were. gets drunk. Uh, that happened with Gerhard Schröder famously in 2005, mm. who had, it appeared, uh, had had too much red wine and challenged Merkel's right to form a coalition. Be wary of drunk elephants. Is yes, famous. <laughs> this is also known as a case of famous last words, um, because Merkel sort of parried him very calmly and, of course, became chancellor forever after, almost. So... Of course, Schultz is right or was right last night when he said this is, uh, among other things, Merkel's fault because Merkel um, fought a very presidential, very lukewarm, very unpassionate campaign at a time where there were plenty of issues to be passionate about. And I, as a German citizen, would have wanted to be her, her, her to be passionate about them. God knows. And, and yes, the Grand Coalition, so that includes Mr. Schultz and his party, the Grand Coalition created a sort of political entropy in the middle of the political spectrum, where um, important questions like the future of the refugee crisis, which, you know, because of the EU deal with Turkey, um, because of Italy's deals with Libya, has more or less trickled to, you know, or led to a just trickle in of refugees rather than the, the really large quantities arriving in 2015 and early 2016. People are still very, very worried about how this translates into their life at the local level, about integrating the more than a million people who have stayed and who need in some way or another to be made you know, members of the workforce and at some point German citizens. That's easy with, with the younger ones, with the children. It's much more difficult with, with older men and, and older people in general. And so they're worried with good reasons. And, and the chancellor... Um, and even my most liberal conservative friends get very angry about this. Um, the chancellor just didn't provide public, clear answers on and this. that's worked for her till now. This has sort of yes. been her method. It's been her style. She doesn't really try to um, try to seemingly polarize or say anything in, in, in public that, and it that was would upset anybody. Extraordinary that she held that through in the uh, in, in in the leaders' debate last night on TV. She remained calm. She's she she actually said at the end of the debate, in der Ruhe liegt die Kraft, um, mm. you know, in, in in calm my my power resides in calm, as it were. I frankly wish her well, um, and I would like that to be true, but I don't think that's going to be good enough right now. I mean, one of the things that this coalition failed to do, although it it literally accomplished a great deal by managing to get this sort of million and more refugees into housing, into schooling, and in many cases into jobs, what it didn't to do was to reassure ordinary Germans that there would be a structure set up, an immigration and integration law that would provide for some kind of regulated process in the future. And the other thing that people are concerned about is that there are obviously some cases of um, people, um, and actually not some, just m many, many in the, in the hundreds of thousands of people who won't be granted the right to asylum and who will be sent back to the countries of origin. And that's proving both practically and legally incredibly difficult to do. And people are concerned that, that, these, that these people will be left in a sort of limbo, will become alienated, will turn to crime or to terrorism 
or, or to, you know, show, d- d- exhibit other forms of, of, of social alienation. I mean, I think this is it's uh, a reasonable I think concern. it's a very, and I think it's a very useful reminder. Here yeah. in the United States, I think Merkel and her government have been treated in, um, praised in the highest terms in terms of this sort of, in terms of her liberal response to the refugee crisis. But yeah. there has been a lot of adjustments along the way mm. that you're pointing out. Um, laws have been tightened. Um, and um, migrants are being returned to their home countries. Various deals have been made with third countries to prevent the arrival, using coercion to prevent the arrival of of people in Europe. Um, And so uh, that that story is a lot more nuanced in terms of Merkel being the hero, uh, the liberal open borders hero of of the crisis. Can I make two more points here, just very briefly? Um, I actually am with those who say that Um, letting the refugees in in September 2015 was a great humanitarian gesture. Literally, Merkel didn't have a choice. If she'd closed Germany's borders, 